This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman at Bird Campbell Law Firm. If you have business in the state of Florida or Texas, we strongly encourage you to join those fellow Dukies at Bird Campbell. Bird Campbell means business. Duke fans, hello and welcome. Podcast number 130. I think we remarked a while ago, a long time ago, that it's a big deal to get to 10 podcasts. We're here on sitting on number 130 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, and we have a packed, packed podcast for you today. Tons of stuff going on that we need to talk about, including the Blue Devils in action against the Blue Devils. But before we get to that, let me bring in my co-host. I am Jason Evans. You should recognize my voice by now because I've done 130 of these puppies. (laughs) And joining me alongside Jason today are my partners in crime who've also done 130 of these. Sam Klein. Sam, you're not in Durham today. Nope. Uh, It is fall break for the Fuqua students. I am taking at least part of my fall break um, back in in one of my old homes in Denver. So I am in Denver this morning. It is somewhat early, but... um, but we're, we're getting through it. I'm dealing with audio issues here. As you guys know, there's all kinds of problems, but we are going to, uh, we're going to have a good show and I am excited to be here. I am very glad to be on fall break because it means that there's less for me to be doing right now. Uh, and unfortunately I will be missing the, the exhibition games back in Durham this week because of my travels, uh, but I will be, I'll be back when the regular season starts. There you go. We count on you to be our eyes in the stands and absolutely. The, uh, the other guy joining us is Donald Wine. Donald, are you back in Washington, D.C., or are you, again, traveling with the uh, with the football, the soccer teams? No, the, the soccer travel is done for a while, so I am back here in D.C. Uh, it is a nice, crisp fall day. Um, probably It's probably colder here than it is for Sam in Denver, um, but uh, it, is, it is a very nice day. And, uh, hey, we got some basketball to talk about. We do have some basketball to talk about because just a couple days ago, the Duke Blue Devils played the Duke Blue Devils. It was the annual blue-white game. The white team won 44-39. to 39. Um, Duke remains undefeated all-time in uh, games in the blue-white game. Duke also remains um, defeated all-time in the blue-white game. Um, so enough jokes about uh, us playing with ourselves. Uh, let's, let's get to what we saw in this game. And guys, I want to remind folks of what we said we were going to look for before the game started, and then did you see what you were going to look for? Sam, I'll start with you. Tell folks what it was you were going to be on the on the watch for, and and then did you see it happen? I really wanted to see Trey Jones and Cam Reddish uh, just show us show us what they've got. I think we really got a lot from Trey Jones the other night. He looked he looked very comfortable um, on both ends of the court when uh, Jordan Goldwire came out. He was being defended by R.J. Barrett and still still managed to look pretty strong. Cam Reddish, I feel like we didn't get as much of a glimpse of. He um, he he did handle the ball a little bit, and uh, so. But I really want to see Reddish play with Trey Jones. I think the one thing that is is stark about this team is that they really do only have one dominant ball handler who who should like who should be playing point guard for long stretches. I think that Barrett appears to be the guy who's going to handle the ball when Jones is on the bench. 
but he's not nearly the facilitator that Jones is. So getting to see, we haven't get, gotten to see Cam Reddish with Trey Jones yet. That's the thing going forward that I'm, I'm, I'm still interested to see how all those pieces fit together. I think that's the one main downside of, of the blue white scrimmage of, of countdown to craziness is that we don't get to see, or at least last night we didn't get to see the full starting lineup all playing together. They were, they were mixed up. Uh, the, 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 the four-star freshmen were split across two teams and everyone else was kind of rotating around them. So we didn't really get a glimpse of what the starting lineup looks like when they're all together. I will add though, that we did get a lot of RJ Barrett, making impressive at least individual offensive moves which were really fun and most importantly we got the, the zion williamson junk show and so that was that was astounding and and enjoyable even even just on its own yeah i think i think he recorded five dunks i may have missed it but i believe five was the number of slam dunks he had and i, and, and I don't know if they i don't know if they showed the warm-ups in the in the uh in oh, the streaming version oh, they did oh they did in the warm-ups yeah so i was standing I, I was in the grad student section. I was standing like right underneath of that basket where he was, where he was warming up. And that was fun. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Donald, let me get to you. Um, uh, tell folks what you were looking for and then what you saw. So uh, the one thing I was looking for is something that we'll actually kind of talk about in a little bit. So I'll save that discussion for when we get to it. But as far as the game is concerned, you know, the great thing about this is when people, you know, are asking questions about, hey, you know, Cam Reddish didn't look too great or, or you know, Marquise Bolden didn't have a great game. This is one of the best pl- teams that will play all year. And, and also, you know, this is the one team that knows every single minute detail about everybody's game. Um, you know, everyone on the floor knew how Cam Reddish was going to play and how he plays. And their their job is to try and stop that. Just you know, but also it's weird. You have to sh- you have to put on a show for the fans. It's the first time you're getting to see these uh, players um, together, at least this year. And also, you are trying to lock down your teammate, and, and it's kind of a, a difficult situation if you've ever been put in it. So, I mean, when it comes to that, there's really not a lot I take out of this game other than two things. One, Zion Williamson is the freak that we thought he was. Um, if, I mean, even, you know, we've been excited about this guy for a long time. Uh, Sam, you should have heard the announcers, uh, during the warmups and during the game, they basically were like kids on a playground watching, you know, Michael Jordan dunk for the first time. Yeah. They, they, absolutely they, from another, they almost canceled from- and they should just yeah. cancel the coverage because it was literally became them giggling about every single time that Zion Williamson even like had the ball in the vicinity of the rim. Because um, it was kind of funny, uh, but also Zion, or I'm sorry, RJ Barrett is very smooth. Like you guys said, he has very creative skills around the basket, and I think those two things kind of you put those two together, and you know you add in Cam Reddish, you add in Trey Jones, you add in you know um, Javon Delorier, who I thought had a you know good game as well. All of these, all these little pieces, you kind of it's kind of left you wondering, hey. What's it going to be like on Tuesday or, or, or on next Saturday or on November 6th when these pieces are all on the floor together, all competing as one? It's kind of one of those things where you say, oh, you take that little grating of salt and you put it together. And you say, hey, I think with these pieces, we can have a very fine dish. And I and I really liked some of the individual things that I saw. But I also like the what is it? The the 
the anticipation of what we can see when all these guys are playing together. So uh, the uh, like the two of you, I, I had said I really wanted to see Trey Jones and Cam Reddish, and I'll get to them in a second. But the other thing I said I wanted to see was I wanted to see our three-point shooting. And, and it's still a course, a source of concern for this team. Um, uh, you know, one of the teams hit four out of 14. That's 28%. The other team hit four out of 12. That's 33%. You know, that's, that puts us right around 30% as a team, um, uh, you know, as both teams on, on three pointers in this game. And uh, that's not a disaster. 30% isn't, <clears throat> 30% isn't the kind of number that, it means you're going to automatically lose, <laughs> but um, but you really you, you I, I'd love to see us get closer to 35 or so. Um, uh, that said, um, I thought we th- I thought the three pointers we took looked fairly good. I mean, look, Alex O'Connell was over four from three. Uh, we've seen we saw last year Alex O'Connell can fill it up. He's going to be able to hit mm-hmm. three pointers. Um, I, I I thought you know Delorier's three looked he looked confident in it. Um, certainly Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett looked very confident taking three pointers. Um, and, and so I, I feel like they're going to do better. And in his postgame commentary, coach K noted that RJ Barrett has been shooting really well and that Cam has shot like lights out. Uh, K in his postgame comments seemed surprised that Cam Reddish didn't shoot better in this game because apparently Cam has just been destroying in practice lately. It's also worth noting about Cam Reddish that, um, he had. He apparently has a, a, a small, a, a, a minor cracked rib. They called it a displaced fracture. Well, if it's a fracture, that's a crack. So he has a cracked rib that he was playing with. Um, uh, it, it was obviously wasn't so bad that he needed to, to sit out, and it wasn't so bad that he looked really terrible with it. But I think we're still yet to see the real Cam Reddish, the guy who most folks consider the number two recruit in the class. And most people say is going to be the number two, number three pick in the next NBA draft. We're yet to see that guy. I want to get to Trey Jones. Coach K said before this game that whichever team had Trey Jones would win. And he was right. Trey seems utterly in command of the floor. He puts people in places where they can succeed. You know, there was a great post i'm not sure if folks read the phase posts on the dbr boards um but uh you know there, there's a group of people and and i i uh, well i'll say this for a second there's a group of people who break down the season based on you know phases of the season several game blocks and um uh, and they really put a lot of insight and a lot of research into it uh two of the best posters on the dbr board are newton 14 and kedsey and they did the preseason phase post um and one of the things they talked about was, uh, and they, were, they almost referred to it as being a unicorn. It's a natural gift of being born with the ability to see the floor and know exactly where to move the ball on the floor to create the most problems for the defense. And they say this natural gift is something that Tyus Jones absolutely had. And I think we would all agree. Tyus Jones, you know, even though we only had him for one year, one of the great point guards in Duke history. And one of the things that Newton and Kedzie were asking in their phase post was, will Trey Jones also be a unicorn? Will he also have this impressive ability to see the floor and put guys in the right place to score? I think it's pretty clear after that brief 20-minute blue-white game that it sure as heck looks like Trey Jones is a unicorn, that he has that ability to get guys in the right place. The the one play, and I think everyone has seen it because ESPN put it in our top 10 plays of the day, where Trey's under the basket, 
um, and the defense has come to him and he he like you know he passes the ball like around one of the defenders to Zion Williamson who's cutting down the middle of the lane and Zion gets a huge thunder slam um, that's the kind of play that a great point guard makes and uh, and we ju- we haven't really seen that a lot the past couple of years. Uh, and I'm I'm so excited to see more of Trey, see him playing with RJ and Cam. Um, I, I think that my questions about Trey Jones, as crazy as it sounds, to have only seen 20 minutes of him playing with half the team, I feel like my questions about Trey Jones have been answered. Jason, Jason that's... <laughs> oh, go ahead. That, I was going to say that is a that that is a big conclusion to draw. I I want to see them all playing together because I think that the the like Trey is going, it, it, I think of the other star freshmen that aren't Trey Jones, I feel like Zion is the easiest one to play with because he is already also an elite passer it, from, from the limited amount that we've seen. And it's, it's easy for him to get into, into spaces where it's where he can receive the ball and, and do scary things with it. So I am, I still want to see them all play together. I want to see how all the ball handling works. I want to see how all the sharing works. I want to see, um, I want to see RJ Barrett not hang on to the ball for five or six seconds at a time and and be able to get himself into into better places to receive the ball and then and then create offense. Um, the but I, I agree with you in general that it is it is taken for granted that guys who come in as elite point guards as, as top rated point guards are just going to have that ability and not just because they are six two and very fast and and look for assists in high school. I, there's there is a huge gap in being any of those guys and being a, a Tyus Jones in college. So I am I am encouraged by it. I, I wouldn't I don't know that, that I'm ready to take to take Jason's conclusion that that it, it's all said and done um, that Trey Jones is going to be great. I want to see, but we're gonna get we're gonna get answers pretty quickly because Duke gets to play Kentucky early in the season. They get that Maui Invitational set that that could end up being really good. I think I think folks generally are pretty high on Gonzaga, so hopefully Duke gets a chance to play them. We'll we'll get a lot more good, you know, full game data pretty soon on on Trey Jones. But you, you have to say that the early returns, you know, from oh, sure. election standpoint, the the early precincts sure seem to be leaning toward Trey Jones being a guy who's going to be an unbelievable facilitator. Sure. Uh, but, but let's see, let's see what actually happens on election day. Right. Ooh. And, and actually, and actually that's great because election day is the day that Duke plays Kentucky. Exactly. So, so excellent. Jason, excellent use of analogy there. Ah, really. Thank you so much. And, and really way, to, way to take it and run with it. You yeah, ran with go, it nicely, my friend. Up top, man. Um, Donald, what did you want to add there? <laughs> yeah. Well, one final point is, you know, one thing that I noticed when I, uh, when I was watching on Friday night, the first thing is, you know, how a lot of people were probably like, wow, Trey Jones looks exactly like Tyus. Like he kind of has that same build. He has that same, you know, kind of a similar haircut. He kind of comes in with the same similar like type of game, but again, small sample size. I'm looking at how he played and I really love his court vision. And I think his court vision might be better than Tyus's when Tyus was at Duke. Um, uh, when he came in as a freshman. And I think that's going to be especially important because with all those guys on the floor, you're going to have to have spacing. And I think with Trey Jones, he's going to be able to not only quarterback the offense, 
but also quarterback where guys are supposed to be on the floor directing people to where they're supposed to be on the floor because he sees a different game than a lot of these other guys do. So um, I, I think that when you get to um, the season, that's what I'm going to be looking most forward to is how he commands the off, how he commands the guys on the floor to be in the positions where they need to be to find success. That's what a great point guard does. And again, small sample size. I think he might have that. I, I think Donald, you you said that he kind of looks like Tyus Jones. I actually think Trey Jones looks like he's a lot bigger than his brother. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's definitely he was at this stage. On him. Yeah. And and that's gonna that that's gonna be helpful to him. Um, you know, in like in playing defense and 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 in getting to places on the floor where he wanted. I don't think that was Tyus's game when he was here. He didn't. He wasn't able to like muscle into the lane. Um, Trey Jones looks like he's looks like he's bulky enough that he might be able to do that, and mm-hmm. and he still appears to be pretty quick. So he's going to go to the rack a lot more than Tyus did, I think. Absolutely. Hey guys, there are two other things I want to touch on really quick. Uh, one is <clears throat> I just wanted to mention because I think it's so important. Um, uh, it's something about Zion Williamson that surprised me. I, I guess I shouldn't say it surprised me. Zion's hands are incredibly strong. Did y'all notice the number of times that it felt like? You know, like on a 50-50 ball, there's no such thing as a 50-50 ball with Zion Williamson because 50-50 balls, he gets 100% of the time. It's mm-hmm. crazy how strong his hands are. Um, and I look forward to seeing him play more and more against better and better competition to see how that continues to hold up. But, uh, you know, obviously he jumps through the roof and uh, he, and he elevates in the air and he does things like 360 dunks <laughs> with ease, which just seems insane. But I'm almost most impressed with how he's able to use his physical strength to control the ball and grab rebounds and things like that. So that's one thing I wanted to mention. I wanted to ask you guys, were you a little surprised? We kept on hearing Jack White, Jack White, Jack White. You know, Jack White was the best shooter in preseason practice. He's moved his way into the rotation. Kind of a quiet game from Jack White. Either of you, Donald, I'll go to you first. Were you a little surprised we didn't see more from Jack? Not really. Um, for the reasons that I mentioned before, you know, this again, this is a game where it's the only game this year where your opponent knows everything about you, um, including how you play. Um, and it's going to be one of the best opponents that we play. So um, when it goes down to it, you know, I, I, I do recall after the game, um, they interviewed Coach K and Coach K was talking about some of these role players like O'Connell and White. Um, and Delorier and Bolden and how they said how he said that they're going to be very important and how we're going to be quote unquote a much deeper team. Now we've seen previous you know Duke teams where we say yeah it's going to be a deep team and then we get down to our you know six to seven man rotation. But I don't think that Friday night is any cause for concern about whether Jack White will be in that six to seven person rotation um, or eight person rotation. I just you know I, I don't take too much stock in the game as a, as a cause for concern for the rest of the year. I want to see what they do when they get to, you know, opponents that don't have Duke on the front of their Jersey. I was going to say that, that I, I am also not concerned about it. I, in the same way that I don't want to take too much about too much good out of this game. I also don't want to take too much bad out of this game. So um, let it keep playing out. See, you know, see see how the rotation looks when they when they play Kentucky in, in a couple of weeks, and then then we'll know a lot more. Mm-hmm. 
All right, guys, so we're on to something that all three of us identified that we really needed to see at Countdown to Craziness, and that is the player intros, the players dancing, the players having a good time being themselves before the crowd and how the crowd reacts to it. Uh, so we, we had a over-under on the number of hip-hop songs, that the number of guys who would not come out to a hip-hop song, I believe that the following players did not come out to a hip-hop song because I said I took the over, remember? I think we were at like, you know, it was like 0.5 or something was the over-under, right, Sam? I think you said it at 0.5, mm -hmm. am I correct? Yes. You were, you were way off. I took the over and I was way right. Um, Buckmeyer came out to It's Not Unusual by Tom Jones, and he did the Carlton, and he called Nolan Smith out to do the Carlton with him. And that's one of the great moments in Duke basketball history. That was, that, that, it, it, it was, it was magical. It was magical. <laughs> Justin Robinson did not pick hip hop. He came out to a CeeLo Green song. Jack White picked Prismo, who is an uh, electric and dance music, an EDM artist. I've never heard of Prismo before, but Jack White came out to a Prismo song. Um, Vrankovic came out to the Red Hot Chili Peppers um, song, Can't Stop. Mm -hmm. um, and then and I, need to, I, I need to interrupt you really quick, and I need to go, throw go, shade yeah. at Antonio Vrankovic. So, so the, the the song that he came out to is is an excellent excellent song uh, that can't stop by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But it has you know it starts with that with that build up with the um, with the with the drums drum. and then it kicks in with yeah. the with the guitar solo and it's it it feels very obvious to like do something really cool like when the guitar solo kicks in because it's like it's a moment in the song and Brankovich totally missed it he and he was ready for it. Um, like it looked like he was going to do, he was going to jump or do something. And he totally whiffed on the execution of that. And then he <laughs> jumped like a couple seconds late. And I, I thought, man, like, oh, what a missed opportunity. He could have been, he could have really ratcheted up his, you know, his, his Q rating or something with that moment and, and missed his, his chance. <laughs> he so missed, anyway, he missed the drop. He missed the drop. He, total, he totally missed the drop. <laughs> so the, wait, wait. So the fifth of the non hip hop intros was Brennan Besser. And Besser came out to an, uh, an EDM sounding kind of, you know, electronic dance music sounding kind of thing. And the artist, did you all catch? Do you all know who the artist was there? Absolutely not. No. The, the artist was Brennan Besser. It was his own music that he had composed, which I think is really cool. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. It it didn't sound that great, but <laughs> but hey, I but mean, I'm not actually the style. So that's, I mean, that's really what these intros are about. It matches his style and it and, makes sense because he made it. And yeah. the, the, the audio system in Cameron is not famous for being not like the, the, the clearest. Yeah. I mean, it's an old, it's an old, very echoey gym. So I just like standing inside, I could tell what songs were playing, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't pick out if any of them were like good or bad because mostly it just feels like whatever the beat is. So it, it, it's fine. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm glad that he that he had the stones to to compose his own music for for Countdown. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So Donald, give me your assessment. I, personally, I didn't think any of the dancing was all that great. I mean, the dancing wasn't great. I do like um, you know a couple that I'll note. Uh, you mentioned uh, Mike Buckmeyer with the with the Carlton Banks dance uh, with Nolan Smith. That was pretty cool. Um, R.J. Barrett came out to Drake nonstop, which is which is you know makes sense because he's from Canada. Um, nonstop is one of the hottest tracks out right now by Drake. So um, that was a good pick. Zion wait, coming out. Had, to, wait, wait, we had two Drakes. 
Trey also came out to a Drake song. I think. Yes, he did. Drake, I was going to get to that in just a second. Yeah, and Trey, Trey Jones and Trey Jones is from Minnesota, which is very close to Canada. It is. They speak with a Canadian accent some sometimes. Um, but he mentioned that he came out to um, uh, God's Plan by Drake because it has a part in the song that says, "I only love my bed and my mama. I'm sorry." And he wanted to dedicate it to his mother, who was in the crowd um, for all that she did to help him get to this position. Um, so that I thought that was pretty cool. He. He talked about that in the um, uh, Duke Blue Planet video after the game. Um, and also they interviewed his mom and how excited she was at being back in, in Durham with uh, with her second kid. I, I thought was outstanding. Like if there is a if there's a Duke cheerleader out there that is Trey Jones mom that like she was all over the place and loving every second of Countdown to Craziness. The final one I want to mention, Zion Williamson came out to what is probably the best intro that you can do music wise jay-z's public service announcement it was perfect for what zion was because again as we all know zion was this internet sensation before he got here and he had to reintroduce himself that is perfect zion williamson hands down got the best intro right so and that was my take donald i i i agree with you that it was a great tune for him but also that none of these guys have moves and or maybe say for Mike Buckmeyer, but yeah, generally underwhelmed with the, with the dancing performance. And you can trust me because you know, I'm a, I'm a boring white guy with a beard. <laughs> but for, for PSA, PSA is not a song that you're going to, you know, break dance to like, no, 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 no these much. guys didn't come out with songs that you're going to bust a move or, or flip a bottle or something like that. Like it was, it was definitely music that matched their personalities and matched their style, but it's not necessarily something that's going to, you know, where they're going to dance. Cause here's the thing. I, I kind of like the dancing, but I also kind of like it when they're just like, Hey, I just try to play here to play basketball and not try to be a B boy. Um, because if you get that wrong, you get that way wrong and it doesn't look good. So I'd rather they just put, put the, put the PSA out there. He came out to, to the lights and, and had everybody in, in soaked in the atmosphere and that was good enough for me. So uh, there are two things I want to note from uh, from th- that I saw of of you know of everything that went on at, in, during the introductions. One is while they're doing the introductions on the ESPN Plus broadcast, they showed little factoids um, during each player's introduction, and a couple of those factoids were were really interesting to me. One of them it noted that R.J. Barrett's father played for Virginia Commonwealth. I don't know how I didn't know that, but I didn't know that. And is um, the uh, what is he the GM of uh, uh, assistant GM of Canadian basketball? Yeah, something. yeah, something like that. Yeah, right. But but just the fact that he played for VCU, I thought was interesting. For uh, for Marquise Bolden, the factoid about him, and this like I, I, my shoulders, you could visibly see my shoulders sag when I saw this. It said Bolden averaged three point nine points per game last last season, the most of any returnee on the team. And I just went, oh god, that's right. Like three point nine points per game is our top returning player. Like wow. But then the factoid that I thought was amazing when Zion came on, the factoid they showed on the screen was it said he has one point seven million followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. and then in parentheses it said. Duke basketball has 745,000 followers. So Zion is about 
two and a half, three times as popular as Duke basketball on Instagram, which I just thought was an amazing factoid. I thought that was really cool. Jason, not to interrupt, but when you, when you brought up that stat, when they brought that up, it reminded me of, uh, and I'm, I'm diving into local uh, sports here, uh, here in DC. Um, But when DC United signed Wayne Rooney, they talked about how, what impact that would make because on his Instagram, he had 17 million followers and that was more than every team or player on a DC team combined. And they were just like that, that 17 million is more than all the teams. You put all the teams and all the players on those teams in a pot. He had more Instagram followers, just Instagram followers than the rest of those people combined. And they were talking about what that meant for the exposure to the team. I think with Zion, that is a, it is a very similar trait. Him having as many Instagram followers as we have, there are so many people out there that are now talking about Duke basketball that weren't five months ago. Um, you know, S- Stefan Marbury is one of our biggest fans now. And I think that is a very interesting thing because he wasn't the biggest fan of Duke when he was in college or when he was in the pros. But now he's watching because of Zion Williamson. I think that's something that we can't overlook. So, guys, one other thing I wanted to note um, after they did the player intros, I think it was after, it was either before or right after, I forget. They, they did sort of the whole, the team. Um, the new team intro kind of thing. And they used to show images on the floor, but this year they dropped giant screens from the scoreboard. Sam, you were there and I'll get more from you on this, but I just wanted to talk really quickly. So, and they showed highlights on those, on those giant sheets. And that was kind of cool looking. And then they showed the new, like, I guess, logo or symbol of the Duke basketball team. It was um, a basketball with a fist in the middle. We know Coach K talks about the fist and that, you know, how five guys come together to form a fist. And it had words around it. And the words were care, pride, communications, trust, and collective responsibility. Those are the five things, I guess, that Coach K is now preaching to the team. Care, pride, communications, trust, and collective responsibility, um, which I thought was a really interesting message to to you know to thrust that upon the fans so much and say this is what Duke basketball is about. And then the last thing I wanted to note about it is this is kind of funny. So that that whole like circle with the words and then the fist in the middle, it kind of looked like the the logo like in a cartoon. It looked like the logo for a bad guy, like a fist. I, I don't know. Just it looked kind of aggressive. I looked at it and I was like, that looks like, you know, the bad guy in Thundercats or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I thought just, I thought it was more Jason, Captain Planet than than Thundercats. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, yes. I'm OK. So, right. you're, you're, also, you're, those five those five points are, are things that he has preached throughout his career. I'm pretty sure he's written a couple of books. Um, I think the one about five points to success involves a lot of those key elements um especially the collective responsibility part because i do remember him preaching that when i was in school uh, about collective responsibility and about how we as crazies take ownership team and you know and and we are a part of the success but he wants us to be rocking every single time so uh i i think it's great that he's you know bringing those elements back because i think those elements are are, are something that we all can use um not just in duke basketball but in life and i think that is um something that will really help this team in the way that the three of us are collectively responsible for this show, right? Correct. And and we have care and pride and trust in each other. That and all we, of those things. And we all communicate. We are we are another basketball team. We're hey, basically Sam, we're basically Duke basketball. There you go. <laughs> I won't disagree. Sam, you were in the house. We've uh, you know, 
Donald and I have said enough about this. Give us the atmosphere. Give us what it was like to be there. So Countdown to Craziness, in addition to being the first public event for the basketball team, it's also the first event for the Cameron Crazies. And as such, the the Cameron Crazies experience is, is sort of underwhelming as everyone's kind of kind of figuring out what all the cheers are and, and who's supposed to be doing what. Uh, the band brought out some new tunes that that mostly sounded pretty good. So um, so the crazies were underwhelming. And now I guess I'm I guess I'm one of them again. So I have to uh, I have to, you know, qualify everything by saying that I'm 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 th- back in the student section, uh, which was really cool. It was my first time standing in the uh, in the graduate area, which was really interesting and totally different from being with the undergrads, mostly that it didn't fill in nearly as quickly. So I didn't have to get there very early to get a primo spot. I I did want to note that the um, Jason, you mentioned the, the screens coming down from the scoreboard. The production value of Countdown to Craziness is incredibly high. It is it is like going to to like a, a wrestling, like a pro wrestling match or something like that. They have the they have all the lights. They have the big screens that come down. They have uh, this year. They they there there was a lot of fire being shot in lots of different places, and the and the intro video had all the players like surrounded by fire as they were like looking cool and flexing and dunking and doing all the things that, that make people love them. So that was fun. The only thing that was weird is that there were a lot of, a lot of like performances before the, the actual Duke men's basketball portion of the evening, some of which were, were cool. Um, like they hadn't had a student who I guess is like an international yo-yo champion and he was performing his yo-yo tricks and that was fun. But then they, they also had a student group that was like, there were four, it was four students all on electric keyboards playing Stairway to Heaven. And they did that for however long that song goes on, like eight or 10 minutes. It was, it, it was weird. I, I am not sure who's in charge of the, of the countdown to craziness uh, pre-basketball events, but I feel like, I feel like they got to do better. And, and Sam, I will note that for, I know you were there, so you got to see everything, but if you were watching it on the broadcast, you know, I, I got home from, you know, from dinner, like maybe 30 minutes late and turned on the broadcast and they didn't show any of that. The only thing they showed was the basketball. So even though it said started at seven o'clock for the first hour, we had that big banner that said your, your event is about to begin standby, um, which was kind of weird because you were texting us all this information about what was going on and we couldn't actually see it. Yeah, but it's fine. You you didn't miss much. They did do they did do some cool stuff with the women's basketball team. Had them had them do their own intros. I don't know if they showed that on TV. They but, did not. But that was also pretty cool. And and then they had the the game. And and I I guess they've dropped the dunk contest from from the proceedings. But we we saw plenty of Zion Williamson dunks. I guess he was going to win anyway. So it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been so interesting to to have him go up against a bunch of a bunch of college students in a dunk contest, right? Yeah, what was the uh, what? What would the point be of having a, a dunk contest this more year? More like, Zion. Yeah. We need more. <laughs> we need wall-to-wall Zion Williams and dunk coverage. Hey, do you uh, think actually, they'll let him? Do you think they'll let him be in the NBA dunk contest this year? Because <laughs> he might. I, no. I hope so. <laughs> he would win. He would win. <laughs> he'll he'll he will win the dunk contest next year when he's in it. Yeah, that'll be great. So, Wait, you think anyway, he's one and done? You think he's one? Really? You think? <laughs> I want to, see, you know, I want to see how his defense develops. I want to see him become more. Fine. Shut up. He's <laughs> one and done.
This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Dominate Test Prep. Let me tell you something. If I was still in school and I was thinking about grad school, I would definitely go talk to these guys. Founded by Duke alum Brett Etheridge, Dominate Test Prep provides online courses for the GMAT and the GRE that are flexible, they're affordable, and most importantly, they teach you Brett's proven test-taking strategies and they produce high scores on test day, which is what it's all about. So if you know someone or if you are looking to get into a top grad school, let a guy who bleeds Duke Blue help you out. You can learn more at dominatetestprep.com. That's dominatetestprep.com. And make sure you use the coupon code GODEVILS and you'll save 10% off any course package. And we again want to thank Brett for being a sponsor of the DBR podcast. So, gentlemen, just moments ago, we were joking about one and done, but there was big, big news um, about the future of one and done this week um, that I want to talk about. The NBA and the NBA G League announced collectively that the G League is going to make make itself much more attractive to guys who just finished high school. They announced that um, if and this isn't for everyone, but for select players and they haven't announced which players those will be but i would imagine it'd be the top 10 15 maybe 20 players or so in high school basketball the g league will offer you a one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar contract to play in the g league right away out of high school that you will not go to college you will get paid one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. it's worth noting that because you will be a professional you'll be allowed to have an agent you're allowed to have advisors to help guide you with stuff You'd be allowed to sign endorsement deals. I mean, we've all heard about the, the Adidas scandal and you know how Nike and Adidas and all these other companies, um, well, we haven't heard about the other companies, but we know at least Adidas was willing to fork over you know, $100,000, $150,000 to kids to get them to go to a school just to maybe get the kid to sign an endorsement deal at some point. Well, now they could actually sign an endorsement deal. Um, the other things about the G League offer that I think are worth noting is that, you know, they wouldn't have to deal with classes. They wouldn't be in school. Now, they wouldn't be getting an education. But if these guys are really only about making it to the NBA, which most of the top 10, 20 players are, they would be able to focus exclusively on practice, developing their game, and they wouldn't be worrying at all about college stuff. We can discuss whether that's good or bad. They're going to see that as a benefit. And, of course, they would get as much practice time as they want um, currently, in the NCAA limits how much time you can spend with the coaching staff, with trainers, how much time you can spend practicing under this new rule. You would enter the G League and you would be able to practice as much as you want. Um, I happen, you know, I've, I've been pretty vocal on the DBR boards in saying that I think that this is a a really good thing. Um, guys who are not interested in college in any way, shape, or form will now have someplace they can go and get paid and get proper training from folks who are associated with NBA teams, NBA coaching staffs. Um, uh, so I think it's a good thing. And I think uh, I think a number of guys are going to consider this and and go ahead and do it. There are a lot of people who disagree with me about that. Let me, let me put it out there to you gentlemen. Um, Sam, I'll go to you first. What was your reaction to this? And do you think, um, you know, are we going to see a lot of players take the NBA up on this offer? I don't think so in the short term. Maybe that changes in a few years. Maybe 
the the G League gets more exposure. But for the time being, I think that these guys really want to end up in the NBA, and the making making one hundred twenty five grand is 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 not nothing. But the the goal is to make millions and millions of dollars, and the best way for them still to get exposure is to be in college. And I don't know. I don't know that the extra practice time is an, and the money is enough to offset the, uh, the, the, the whole college basketball experience. I think that they gain a lot more notoriety that day, uh, that, you know, going that, that direction. I think that the top coaches in college are going to be, uh, are going to be probably better than the coaches that they're going to have in the G league because, because those jobs are just more, the, the college jobs are more prominent and, you're, you don't have Mike Shashevsky and John Calipari and Bill Self coaching in the G League. The, the... But, but you know, can I can I jump in really fast? Yeah, and I want to I want to mention something about the coaching because there are a number of people who've who've said that that's one of the reasons to go to college. Um, John Calipari and Mike Shashevsky and Bill Self and so on and so on have a job. Their job is to win basketball games for their collective universities. The G League guys. Their job is not to win games for the G League. Their job is to develop players. That's a very, very different ball game. So the other the 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 other challenge here, though, is that the uh, unless they unless they change this um, before they before they institute this next year, the G League guys are not going to be drafted players. So it's unclear exactly how that Jason. Right to your point about development. It's unclear how the G League staffs are going to prioritize time working with the drafted players versus the ones who are who are these these guys right out of high school who haven't been drafted yet. I'm not sure how they're going to properly align all of that. Uh, they, they've in minor league baseball they've had issues around this before because they used to have uh, they used to have rules about how you couldn't trade drafted players within a certain amount of time uh, after their draft, so you couldn't draft them and then immediately deal them. You had to wait some time after they signed a contract and had been in the organization for a while. So they had, they had this thing used to be called the player to be named later. They've got, I believe they've now gotten rid of it, but the problem was that teams were making deals to trade players ahead of when they were actually going to be eligible to be traded. And then everyone in the organization would know like, Oh, we're, we're trading that guy. He's going to be gone in a couple months. He's going to be gone next year. So there were there were misaligned incentives as far as prioritizing development time with those players. And it was sort of just a handshake agreement between different teams. I think that's going to be an issue here unless these players are actually in the draft and belong uh, contractually to whatever organization is developing them, because the NBA teams are now becoming more sophisticated in the way that they use the G League in the same way that baseball teams use their minor leaguers to instill you know, certain techniques, um, use them to stash players in the minors so that they can bring them back and forth. The, the, the development league is, is going in that direction. They have the two-way contracts. They have, um, there, there's a lot more movement in between. So without that, without that security of, oh yeah, you're on this team and, and you actually are contractually obligated to this team and this team cares about your development. I think without that piece, this, this whole system doesn't work and the players are probably served better by going to college where even though I agree with you, they, they don't um, the, the coaches are not solely focused on, on their professional development. I don't think any coach is taking the Zion Williamson's of high school and not 
giving them the attention that that they crave for development as they get ready to be top NBA draft picks. Donald, get get in on this. What what what's your feeling about it? You know, I I agree with Sam in the sense that it there is one thing, right? It's about, you know, a lot of people are saying the money part of it is a great idea. I, I think it's a great to have another path um, to the NBA other than college. But as Sam said, the eyeballs are focused on the NCAA game. And with these guys that, you know, again, beforehand, you could go to um, the G League and play for a year and then go to the NBA. You could go abroad and play in Europe or play in South America and go to the NBA but the eyeballs are still focused in college. When you're talking about 18 and 19 year olds, most people are saying, how can they, they're, they're watching college to see what guys are going to make it on the next level. And so as long as that's happening, this is not going to work on a wide scale. Is there going to be players that take advantage of it? Absolutely. And I think there's some players that should, because like, like you guys have said, there are some players that aren't trying to be in class. They just want to, play basketball and that's what this path would be for it would be it would allow them to make a little bit more money than the average i think the average uh g league contract right now is about 45 to sixty thousand dollars or something like that which isn't you know bad money uh, but 125k is is some pretty good money but when it's talking about when you're talking about trying to get millions they want to make sure that the most eyeballs are on their game as possible to say hey this is a guy that can make it on the next level and those eyeballs right now are focused in college until that until that changes um you won't see a plethora of guys make turning uh you know cashing in on this g league deal i you know i feel like there's been more guys who have gone to europe and played before coming back and getting drafted than there have been guys um that have gone to g league notably there was one guy uh, and i'm forgetting his name from syracuse that uh, was going to commit last year that went to the g league have you heard anything about him lately? Probably well, he not. Actually, he, he decided against playing in the G League. He, he decided not to. He decided he's just going to you know work on his game on the side on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, and he probably has really endangered his his stock as a result. But yeah, he decided against playing in the G League. Um, uh, and, and it's worth noting, he was not, and I, blanked, I also blanked on his name, and yeah. I'll probably look it up really fast and find it. Um, but he was not like a top 10 recruit he was like you know he was a mcdonald's all-american but i think he was like in the mid-teens or so um not one of the guys that you would go oh that guy's an auto he's a he's probably going to be a lottery pick next year um Mm -hmm. i really think that that this is designed for those kind of players guys who are absolute no-brainers um don't even need to play that great in college to for the nba to go yeah we we know that this guy has the talent to be um, to be in our league, um, and 125 grand is and endorsements. And by the way, I think you know. Again, when you're talking about guys at the top of the class, the guys who are going to be lottery picks, the the endorsement dollars are are going to be significant as well. Yeah, they they won't have, they won't be as well known um, from you know because they won't have played in college. But there are the NBA is full of huge endorsement guys who weren't popular, who weren't well known in college. I mean, you know, goodness gracious, Russell Westbrook wasn't like a huge, super successful college player at at UCLA. Um, 
It wasn't like the whole country knew Russell Westbrook's name from playing at UCLA. The freak, Giannis Atatokounmpo, or whatever the heck he, I can't, I still can't pronounce his name. The freak, who's one of the top players in the NBA today. European, he was an international. He had, we'd never heard of him until he went into the draft. Christoph Porzingis, I mean, come on. And Porzingis, these are guys with huge endorsement deals um, who are major players in the NBA. And they have those big endorsement deals because they are super talented and they are succeeding in the NBA. And uh, the argument that, oh, wait, they aren't getting the exposure that they would get on a college team. uh, Yeah, it's a factor. But to me, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny factor. I really think if you're if you are talking about the guys at the very top of the current um, 2019 high school class, James Wiseman, Cole Anthony, Vernon Carey, Isaiah Stewart, Jaden McDaniels, guys like that, the guys who are in the top five, the top 10, if they choose to take this path, they're going to get $125,000 from the G League. They're going to probably sign half million, maybe million dollar contracts with um, with Nike or Adidas or Puma or whoever the heck it may be. And no matter how they play in the G League, first of all, I think they'll be very successful, but no matter how they play, they're going to be lottery picks. And, and, yep. and I mean, to me, I I don't see the huge value to them in playing in college. I, I guess there's some... Um, and maybe there's maybe there's a tiny bit of risk that you know you play in the G League and and you're because you're going to be playing against men. You're going to be playing against guys who are 24, 25 years old who are fighting like crazy to try and just get a shot at the NBA. Um, so you know maybe there's some risk there, but I don't think it's very much risk. I mean, come on, Cole Anthony. How there, there's no way Cole Anthony plays so badly in the G League that some NBA team doesn't take him in. Um, in the first five picks in the draft. It's just, it's not possible. We've seen it over and over again. We, we, yeah. Harry- I, I, Jason, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think we're, we're just going to have to agree to disagree with you that I think there is more risk in it than, than we're giving credence to. And I think that the, you, you mentioned some, some guys who have, who are top players who have big endorsement deals and et cetera. Those guys didn't necessarily have those, coming right over right when they got drafted. They, we didn't know how great they were going to be. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were immediately picked up by Nike when they were in the draft and and were all set from from the moment they said go. So I, I, I don't know which is the more lucrative path. I think that going to college is, um, un, 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 unless, unless you see a couple guys do this and be successful, I don't think there's going to be a mass movement towards top 10 players um, moving to the G league while again, guys like Mike Krzyzewski and John Calipari and Bill self and Roy Williams, and all of them are still coaching in college and are still the brand names in, in pre NBA basketball. You know, we were talking about the, the endorsement deals and stuff, but um, when you're talking about the G league, again, those, those companies, you know, Nike, Adidas, Reebok, you know, Under Armour, they're worried about exposure too. And they're not going to give, you know, a multi-million dollar deal to a guy that is unproven and is going to the G League straight out of high school that very few people outside of AAU circles have heard of. They're going to give that, you know, money to a guy who is a year out of college and 
the entire world knows his, his name because we have this billion dollar thing we call March Madness. And how many guys have we seen go on a tear during the NCAA tournament and parlay that into first round draft picks and multi-million dollar endorsement deals? It's way more than the number of guys that you see riding a bus for the Grand Rapids drive. So I think that is what is going to have to be overcome with this deal. Again, I think that some guys will take advantage of this. I don't think it's going to be those top 10 guys. I think when they look at it, they're going to crunch the numbers. They're going to say, hey, going to college is going to be more money a year from now than any money that I'll get up front. And I think that is what the challenge is with this new deal. Well, so two things I'll say about that. One is, um, let's be clear that this is not being offered to any high schooler out there. <coughs> um, if, if the top 10 guys aren't interested in this, then my bet is that the that it, it just it doesn't happen um, because there's no way the G League and the NBA are going to pay $125,000 to a guy who isn't a McDonald's All-American. You know, a guy who isn't likely to be worth a lot more than 125k um, uh, in the future from the NBA. Uh, you know, a guy who isn't uh, almost a sure thing to be a first-round draft pick um, uh, a year from now. I, I just think, I, I, I just think this is for the guys who are likely lottery picks. It's, it's not for other players. So that's one thing I'll mention. The other thing is. Um, a lot of people have made note of this, and I think it's worth stressing um, on this podcast. For a long time, people have, you know, been wringing their hands, and they've been so upset that players were playing in college for free. And everyone was like, "It's just not fair. They should be get. They should be compensated. There should be some route for them to recognize their value." Um, well, here we have a counterpoint to college. Here we have something where we go, "Hey." If you don't think college is worth something to these players, um, uh, here's $125,000 and here's a chance to get endorsement deals. And if no one takes the NBA up on this offer, I think it is proof that college basketball offers real tangible value to these players outside of (laughs) an actual, actually actual earnings for them, that it provides them with exposure. It provides them with, um, with teaching and it, and it, it creates value for them um, because a lot of the argument against college ball, a lot of the argument has been the players should get paid because they're doing all this for free in college. And maybe this is an argument that, oh, they aren't actually doing it for free. Maybe they're getting something out of college ball that isn't tangible in terms of dollars in the bank, but it's something that is very useful and marketable to them in the future. Jason, I think it's disingenuous to say that that, that this proves anything, whether the whether lots of players take it up or not. I, I, all we have here are, are two options. It's not like players are able to, are able to like create a, you know, a, a, a best system for themselves. This is the NBA deciding on one specific path. That's, that's, that has clear definition. And, and I don't know that, that we're going to have enough information to say, Oh, this is how much the the player gains from being in college because he turned down $125,000. There are, there are lots of factors that are complicating all of this and mm-hmm. and the, the the NBA will see how this goes and then they'll they'll change it up when they when they get some data about who's doing it and why I'm sure they'll get 
feedback from from some of these players who were offered these contracts and and who decide to turn it down. They'll hear from the agents. They'll hear from the from the big sponsors like the shoe companies. There are there are a lot of stakeholders here who are going to have input on on how this works and how it doesn't. And then also, we don't know how college basketball is going to adapt to the the sort of changing mindset of the public about the players being paid or, or being allowed to have endorsements. All of that is going to is is going to affect this in the next few years. Also, you you have like when you're talking about the NCAA portion of this. People have to realize if they make that argument, then they have to realize that that argument is not just about college basketball. You have another billion-dollar beast that's college football where this argument is also being made. So if they're trying to use this deal to say, hey, there's an option for you to make money, college football players don't have that option, and they have three years to think about it. So you you have to – that would be, as, as, as Sam said, a very disingenuous argument when it comes to something like this. Okay, so let, let's wrap all this up. We've been on this for a while, and the podcast is getting really long. Um, guys, over-under. We love over-unders on this. Um, I'm setting the over-under at two. Two players, two high school players in the class of 2019 taking the G League and the NBA up on this offer. Do you think we'll see two? Actually, I'll say 2.5. So you have to go either, you know, you have to pick the actual. That, that's the over-under number. Um, Sam, do you think we will see more than two and a half players taking the NBA up on this? Under two and a half, Donald. Yeah, <laughs> under. I, 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 you guys know. I say over. I, I think it's going to be an attractive option. Um, so Sam, I got a question. If I'd set the over under at point five, would you have gone under? I think it's going to be one. I don't know. I, I, I don't know who it is, but I think there will be one player who tries it this year. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with Sam. I think it's just going to be one. I mean, last year there was one guy. I don't think that this, uh will really, again, the exposure I think is going to be the number one thing that they cite, but I think it's just going to be one guy. This edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine gentleman at Bird Campbell Law Firm, and Tucker Bird has bothered to send us a little message um, about the start of Duke basketball season. He says, we begin another Duke basketball journey whether we ascend to the heights of March Madness magic or endure one of those infrequent, disappointing walks along the road to some kind of basketball cavalry. Remember, the journey is the reward. Enjoy it. And Bird Campbell says, go Duke. Fine words there from Tucker Bird. And guys, we want to thank you once again for being sponsors of the DBR podcast. Folks, if you're looking for legal advice, we suggest you turn to the Dukies at Bird Camp. Gentlemen, we have been on basketball for a while. We want to just dip our toes into the football pool for a moment. Over the weekend, the Duke Blue Devils took on the Virginia Cavaliers in a game that Duke lost 28-14. to um, God, I, I don't know. I didn't even feel that close, did it? Um, I, I will freely say that there was a moment in the fourth quarter when, um, when Duke uh, got the ball back after stopping Virginia. We had just scored a touchdown, and the score was 20-14. to 14, And with a touchdown, the Blue Devils could take the lead uh, midway through the fourth quarter, and, and it really looked like we had a chance to win the game. And I was like, how is that even possible given the way we have been beaten in this ball game? Our, our offensive line was absolutely destroyed in this game, and the 
the UVA quarterback, um, uh, just sort of did whatever he wanted the entire ball game. At least it felt that way. Um, Donald, I'll go to you first. What was your impression of uh, Duke's loss to Virginia in football? So I will say that I think we got beaten every single area of of the game yesterday. And the one thing that absolutely killed us more than anything, if you want to like put a nail on it, is special teams. Uh, every time they kicked the we kicked the ball off to them or punted to them, they ended up with a ball in Duke territory. And it, from there, they were able to, you know, if you look at the stats for this game, they weren't that bad with the exception of one that I'll get to in just a second. They were pretty fairly even. But when you really think about it, special teams allowing them to start just about every single drive in Duke territory, that's going to kill you every single time. And it, it wasn't like it was like, hey, it was a short punt. Um, it was runbacks. These guys were running the ball back 30, 40. And, penal- Wait, and penalties. They, and they, penalties. Had this, they had this weird thing they did on punts where they had two guys fielding the punt. And you mm-hmm. couldn't tell which one was going to catch it. Mm-hmm. And it completely befuddled our our special teams coverage. And we ran into the guy who was catching the punt twice, I think. Yep. And it gave him an extra 15 yards. It was like mm-hmm. crazy. Ugh. Yeah. But those sort of things, it, it, you just can't have that. You have to – if you have every drive start in, in your own territory, that's just short field for your defense. Even if your defense was you know performing well, which at times they did. They, I felt like they settled down a bit, but it doesn't matter when you are only allowing them to give up 34 yards before, uh, you know, there was one drive that uh, that Virginia had where they had 11 plays, gained negative three yards, and were still in Duke territory. And still the only reason that they didn't get points is because they missed the field goal. So like that can't happen. But one thing I think we you mentioned the offensive line got crushed. It really showed with our rushing yards. We had 58 rushing yards. Um, that's, I mean, this is a team that's averaging over, you know, what, 125, 150 a game. You know, when you have only 58 rushing yards, that means that you're not establishing the line and you're not establishing your attack. And, and when those things happen, you can't put points on the board and it's very difficult to win ball games. So those are my two takes. Uh, but really, you know, if we're, gonna, we're, we're going to pit next week, we have to improve tremendously in, in all areas of the football because we can't get out outmatched um, by a UVA team like that um, because, a, as you guys now know, it probably has cost us the division. Well, I, by the way, the offensive line woes didn't just show up in the um, in the rushing yards. It felt like Daniel Jones had was scrambling for his life the whole game. He was sacked four times. Four sacks is a lot. And three was on picks. one drive. And, and and he and he threw two picks, which is also out of the ordinary for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except Sa- against Sam, Virginia. What else you got against Virginia, he he's had twenty four yeah, he, he has had twenty four interceptions in his career. Nine of them have come against Virginia. Wow. Oh. Sam, what you got? Uh the the biggest deficiency to me was the was the tackling. Virginia was running into Duke defenders and then bouncing right off of them. I'm not sure if that was the rain. I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on, but it seems like especially Duke's defensive front, which is usually so strong in the, in, in tackles for loss and, and getting tackles at the line of scrimmage. None of that was happening yesterday. And, and that was a, that, that was UVA getting six, seven, eight, nine yards on, on basically every, on 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 almost every run and 
And if you if you give up eight yards a carry, you're never going to be able to stop the other team. The other well, especially thing, Bryce Perkins. Oh my gosh, Bryce Perkins. Wow, it's like he had grease on him. We could yep. not we could not bring him down. And then on the other side, um, the Duke receivers dropping balls all over the place. And oh my and god, I, 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 it, I, we said this last week. It, it it seems a little bit like the team is getting worse somehow. So um, I'm curious to see how Duke does against Pitt. They've been the last couple of years, actually, the Blue Devils have been better on the road than they've been at home. So maybe going on the road to Pittsburgh is is going to help this team. And 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 that'll be that'll be a boost for them. But uh, wait and see. I'm I'm disappointed in the performance yesterday. I thought they looked really flat and UVA looked really fired up to be uh, to be in Durham and and there to, to beat Duke. Yeah, I'll tell you, on the side, it was really interesting. On the broadcast, they showed the different sidelines. And like the UVA sideline, those guys were bouncing up and down. Like, uh, you know, whichever guys weren't in the game were really into the game. They were geeked up in a major, major way throughout the entire contest. And yeah, Duke just looked flat the whole way. Sam, you mentioned Pittsburgh. Um, that That's our next game. Uh, Pitt is coming off a bye, so they've had plenty of time to prepare for Duke. Um, and and they need to prepare because Pitt is not very good. Um, the Sagarin rankings has Pitt outside of the top 70. Um, Jeff Sagarin makes Duke about a seven-point favorite in this game, even though the game is being played at Pitt. And the biggest thing about Pittsburgh is their defense is awful. The Pitt D gives up more than 30 points a game, um, more than 400 yards a game. Um, uh, on uh, the, the defense allows, including 180 plus yards per game that they allow on the ground, 180 yards on the ground, Pittsburgh allows. So, uh, you know, that's got to be a place that that Duke, you know, hopefully can can make things happen. Um, we've been missing Britton Brown now for two weeks. Uh, I think that really hurts. We've also been missing Aaron Young, a wide receiver, Aaron Young, who, uh, you know, I, I think both of those guys are, are, are big play guys. Or they are guys that we count on to, to make major plays for us. And, and we have not we've really, really missed them. Guys, do you all have anything else about about Pitt? This is by the way, Duke has five games left, three of which are against teams that that are probably the three worst teams in the ACC in Pitt. Wake and UNC. Now we also play Clemson and Miami. Put those two aside for a moment. <laughs> but um, if we can pick up the wins against Pitt, Wake, Pitt, Wake, and UNC, again, three of the worst teams in the ACC, we we, we will have an eight-win season, which would be very, very nice for the regular season. But do y'all have anything else to say regarding the the Pitt preview and what you're looking for for that game, Donald? Let me let me ask you. Yeah, I, I think you you nailed it when you said um, that they give up a lot on the ground. Uh, Pitt does. I think that's something that we, you know, is very easy, you know, to say that, you know, against Virginia, we had a bad game on the ground, but we can get back on track against Pitt. If we can do that, you know, I think what that does uh, in a way is settles down Daniel Jones um, because a, if the, if, if the running backs are doing well, if he has lanes to run, that just creates more options and, and the defense is not going to be able to handle that. So um, I think, I think in a way that kind of settles him down and allows him to, take his time when he's throwing balls um, that, you know, the deep balls, he had a couple um, good plays against, uh, against Virginia. If he can settle down, um, you know, create some running lanes for everybody. And, and even for himself, get some first downs, get it, you know, get a touchdown inside the red zone that will open up passing lanes as well. And when he does that, I think that'll help 
alleviate this, you know, this, the woes that we had on offense this week. Uh, so I think that would be, that's the key to my uh, ball game right there. I, I think that the, the thing for Duke is to get the, get the offense back on track. I want to see Daniel Jones being more dynamic. I want to see him get more time in the pocket to, to make better throws. And I want to see those wide receivers fix the slippery hands problem from last week. Um, this pit team, you can score on this pit team and I want to, I want Duke to, to, to run it up against them. You know, we, we, you mentioned Daniel Jones. I, I, I sent you guys a, a text about this. Um, ever since we, uh, you know, it was sort of uh, revealed that the N- NFL is looking strongly at Daniel Jones. Ever since CBS reported that Daniel Jones was going to be a first-round draft pick in next year's draft, I feel like Daniel Jones's play has has not been very good. In fact, I sort of jokingly said, "It's so sweet of Daniel Jones. It's so nice of him to to be to the moment the NFL started talking about him." He said he sort of said, "No, no, no. I want to stay at Duke. I will play so poorly that I won't be a draft pick next year." <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, <laughs> but but it almost almost kind of feels that way. Um, uh, I, I agree with you, Sam. This this needs to be a big bounce back game for for Daniel Jones and for Duke, especially uh, you know with with a lot of more eyes on Daniel Jones because he's getting a lot of NFL draft talk. Um, it's time for him to to really show um, what he can what he can do at the at the next level. He just wants to he just wants to have his dream Heisman season begin next year against Alabama in the uh, in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. <sighs> that would be so sweet. That- but also one final one final point. Um, if we win this week, we'll be at six wins. You know, we're we're always chasing that six win to become bowl eligible to get it done before the month of October is out. I think that'll also just be a burden lifted. Uh, whereas last year they were kind of leaving it to the last, you know, last couple games, having to win a few in a row to get to six wins and putting that pressure on themselves. I feel like this year, if they win, you know, if they win this week, the pressure's off and they can just go play football. So when we're talking about, you know, we we're talking about UNC and Wake, but hey, why not go down to Miami and see if we can see if we can beat the Hurricanes? Why not go to Death Valley and see if we can beat Clemson? That pressure will be lifted off of us and we won't have to be counting the number of football games in relation to wins like we were doing last year. That's a great point. I love that. All right, gentlemen, it is time for us to hit our parting shots. We've had a long podcast, so much to talk about. Sam, I will go to you first. What is your parting shot? So I'm sorry that I missed the show on uh, whatever day you guys recorded on Wednesday, I think. I yep. was I was busy studying for my uh, for my final exam in accounting, uh, which I think I, I we don't have the grades yet. I don't want to speculate on on how well I did, but uh, <laughs> sure I was, you, did you feel good I about was, it. You feel good about the test. I was very good. I I, I was uh, very, I was deep deep in the weeds on on accounting, so I didn't have time to to break away to record with you guys. So I'm sorry for that. I did listen to the show, Jason. Your your passion as always is is appreciated. Um, I, I just wanted to add on the on the whole paying the players and the Zion Williamson thing. I I just I I don't know what we don't know at this point about who's getting offered what and how all this stuff works. I do know that reading about all the all the things that are coming out of the trial is fascinating. And I can't wait until we have more clarity. And I really am excited in 10, 15, 20 years when all the real memoirs come out about about this time and and when when this whole debate is sort of a thing of the past, because 
because I, I feel like there's there's so much of this interesting sort of underground world that we we talk about here on the show and lots of college basketball media talk about, but I feel like we just don't know anything. And and we're learning some about it now, but um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun way down the road to to find out how much we didn't know about this whole underground paying the players world that we think has existed for decades and that we just don't have much evidence about. So you're excited for ten or fifteen years from now? Okay, I love it. <laughs> I love reading. I love reading. That's it's just great. You are truly a student, sir. A student, you. a scholar. You are a scholar. Thank you, uh, Donald. What is your parting shot, sir? So during the Countdown to Crazy's broadcast, uh, there was a commercial in between uh, the warmups and the uh, start of the scrimmage. And there was an interesting commercial that I saw that I hadn't seen anything about before. And I'm not sure if you guys have seen it. ESPN Plus is doing an original series about this year's Duke basketball team. Uh, It's called Earn Everything. Apparently, it begins on October 30th um, and now... uh, explains why we've had those hashtags and those uh, Duke Blue Planet videos uh, leading up to this point. But uh, Earn Everything is a new series. So uh, I'm interested in checking that out. Um, Have you guys heard that before um, Friday night? I know, Sam, you didn't see the commercial because you were at the game, but had you guys heard of that at this point? I know that they were planning on doing some ESPN Plus extra promotion with Duke. I didn't know exactly what what it was going to look like. But but I know that we had heard about that leading into the – into the Canada games that there was some tie in with the team going on the trip and they were going to get a lot of footage from that. And then also coming into, into fall practice. Yes. I, I, I'd heard about it and I'd heard it was called earn everything. Um, and I, you know, it's going to be like a four or five part series that ESPN plus does in an effort to get us all to fork over five bucks a month for, um, for the ESPN plus content. And you know what? I already have done that. (laughs) We, 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 we might all just subscribe to ESPN plus. You know, Donald, I just remembered we there was something Don and I were talking about on the pre um, before we got on to the uh, podcast. Sam, I'll ask you, do you know what chickens means? Yes, I did. I finally last night caught up on all of my Blue Planet videos. And <laughs> so now I know that when Javin Delorier shoots a three, he shouts chicken. And that is awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but it's awesome. I, 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 I hereby petition ESPN to mic up Javon Delorier before every Duke basketball game. Yes, yes. Second, <laughs> passed, motion confirmed. So uh, on the Duke Blue Planet video, Trey Jones asks him, why, I think he says chickens with an S, not just chicken. No, it's one. It's, it's, it's a singular chicken. It's chicken, it's not chickens? because It's chickens not, it's not multiple better. chickens. It's just we'll chickens. Go back, we'll go back better. to the tape. Yeah, it's just one chicken. <laughs> it's one chicken? Okay. Yeah. So Trey asks him, Javon, why do you yell chicken? Every time you shoot a three, and Javin says, "It just feels right, chicken." <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't, exp- he has no explanation. There's no explanation for this. It's just chicken, which I think is friggin' awesome. Um, I wish I shot three pointers so I could yell chicken every time I shot a three pointer. But unfortunately, I'm a post player. Me and my five eleven, two hundred and twenty pound frame. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it is time for my parting shot. And for my parting shot, I take us back to the world of basketball. Just released, literally just in the past day or so, Ken Pomeroy has released his 2019 rankings. Now, it is worth noting 
that Ken Pomeroy at this point is just friggin' guessing for the most part. <laughs> he has no data to go off of. And the Pomeroy rankings are interesting because they are a hundred percent data driven. They're all about pace and efficiency and all that kind of stuff. So Ken is just, you know, taking a stab in the dark, but his stab in the dark is basically to say the ACC is friggin' awesome. The new Ken Pomeroy 2019 rankings that just came out place Duke at number two, UNC at number three, Virginia at number four, Syracuse at number eight, Clemson at number 14, and FSU at number 15. Seven of the top 15 teams, four, I'm sorry, three of the top four, uh, three of the top four, five, uh, four of the top eight. I mean, like, it's ridiculous how much he loves the ACC, and it goes on from there. So I said seven of the top 15 were ACC. Miami's 21, Virginia Tech's 22. So we got nine of the top 22. Now there's a bit of a drop-off. He's got NC State at number 36, Louisville 53. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Louisville 63, Notre Dame's 59, BC's in the 60s, and then down to the 90s for Wake and Georgia Tech, and then Pitt. Oh boy, Mr. Capel has quite a job to do at Pittsburgh to make them good. Pitt is number 139 in the Pomeroy rankings, but... I think it's a, a, a really exciting for the conference. Um, it's going to make a, a an incredibly exciting conference season. Um, and Pomeroy tells us exactly how good the ACC is. There's no conference that is even close to the ACC this year. Again, Duke number two, UNC number three, Virginia number four, Syracuse number eight, four of the top eight teams in the country in our conference. By the way, he has Kansas number one. He has Kansas number one by a lot. They're, even though Duke's number two, Kansas is number one by a lot. Um, and we'll just see how all that turns out. But I just wanted to mention Ken Pomeroy. Thank you for loving the ACC once again. That's going to do it for us here on the DBR podcast. It was a long one because we had a lot to talk about. We'll be back next week. We will have football against Pittsburgh. We will have two more Duke exhibition basketball games. And I have a little bad news for folks. I do need to let people know we had been planning on doing a live broadcast. Donald and I were both going to go to Durham to meet up with Sam. Um, it was going to be November uh, 12th, I believe was the date, 11th, 12th, something like that. The weekend that we play UNC in football and um, uh, Army in basketball, the opening game of the regular season, the Army game. And we were going to come in town. We we're going to watch those games. Then we we're going to do a live DVR podcast. We have called it off and it's 99% my, my fault. I was trying to make things work that weekend. I had something that I just kind of had to do. I, I am married and my wife was like, really, you're going to skip this? Um, uh, and when your wife says, really, you're going to skip this? That means you're not going to skip it. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, we couldn't make it work. And again, it's mostly my fault. I'm really sorry. But we're going to try and make, get this done. We're going to try and get in the same place and do a live DBR podcast in Durham. Hopefully sometime later in this season, we'll figure out a date and we'll let all of you know so you can plan on being there. I'm sure we will have thousands and thousands of people come to listen to us talk about basketball live and in person. Um, but uh, we're not going to be able to do it, unfortunately, on um, whatever it was, the 11th or 12th. I forget the exact date. So, guys, Donald, Sam, I'm I'm sorry about that. Do y'all hate me? No, no I still I, might go down there. So, Sam, just keep the couch keep the couch empty. Yeah, I got you. Well, that's going to do it for us on this uh, edition of the DBR podcast. Again, thanks to Donald in Washington D.C., Sam taking a little break from Durham out in Durham. Guys, thanks for joining me. And DBR band, DBR band. What am I talking about? Duke band. It's the Duke Band. We don't have a DBR official band. I guess Sam. Sam, you are the DBR band. 
because you play an instrument. But we're going to have the Duke Band play us out. So long, folks. Thank you.